the book of Isaiah chapter 59. And uh, we'll get cracking. Isaiah chapter 59. Now, as we take a look, again, Isaiah had a unique ministry. And he is going to run around the same time as a couple other guys. Uh, a fellow named Ezekiel and another guy named Jeremiah. And, and they, they kind of overlap. Their ministries kind of overlap. And they're dealing with the same kind of people. They're dealing with the people, the, probably the worst possible kind of, of people to try to convince about what God is doing. They're dealing with people who think they're good and everything's all right. And, 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 and I go to synagogue all the time and I bring my sacrifices and I do all the things I'm supposed to do. And so, you know, I'm fulfilling my tradition. It's like uh, Fiddler on the Roof, right? That song, Tradition. No, nobody ever seen it? Maybe that's what we'll watch. <laughs> so <clears throat> when we look at that, when we consider, that was their focus. It wasn't a real relationship with God. It wasn't coming before Almighty God and, and, and you know, really being uh, broken over our sin or or struggling with the, the different things that we're dealing with, and then bringing that sacrifice of that, of that little lamb before the Lord, and, and putting your hands on that lamb, and realizing this lamb's about to die for what I did. And all of that being a picture of what God's Son would do for us, that He would become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But it became just a thing you do. Right? It's like, it's the same, we're in the same danger of it. I mean, what do we do? We go to church and we sing a couple of songs and, and we do announcements and sing a couple more songs and then preacher talks for a while and we do our weekly duty. And after we've fulfilled our weekly duty, we go through and we think it's all good. I, I, I've done what God requires of me. But that's just ritual. God says, even to the nation of Israel, through the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Because though you draw near to me with your lips, your heart's far from me. It was all just ritual, tradition. And when we look at Isaiah 59, we want to have that mindset. As Isaiah is writing to the people, and he's, and he's pointing out to the people, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Is, is the message really any different today? Folks, judgment's coming. It's still coming today. Oh, people will say, well, you know what? It's been like 2,000 years since Jesus died. And people still say he's coming back. And they talk about Armageddon. And we make all these crazy movies and try to describe, you know, what we think God might have meant by that. None of them really follow the Bible, what the Bible says about it. But when we look at that, when we see that, when we understand that, the same message today. Jesus Christ is coming back. First, Jesus Christ will come back for his church. Then there is going to be judgment. The Bible speaks of a great white throne judgment where all the living and the dead, unsaved, will stand before Almighty God. You don't want to wait to that day. You don't want to say, well, I had all my rituals. The Lord says, I want relationship. I want real. I want your heart real. He never pretended. He never told his people they had to be something they weren't. He said, you got to be real. Come to me like you are. And I will make you new. I'll do a work in you you won't believe. 
That's his promise to the nation of Israel and to his church. Well, here's what he says in Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The people were calling out to God, Lord, save us. The funny thing is, you know, up until this point, they've been worshiping idols. And everything had been ritual. And they never thought about God all that much. And now, you know how it is. You get in trouble, you call on the name of the Lord. So Isaiah says to the people, God's hand is not short. It's not an issue where God's too weak or he can't save you from the situation you're in. And it's not a situation so much that God can't perceive, hear, understand what you're asking. But what's he say? But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. They had made no restitution for their sin. The the requirement of salvation is repentance. Always has been. But if there is no repentance, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. For the nation of Israel, that occurred in their sacrifices. When they brought their sacrifice and by faith, Believe God's word that God said, when this animal dies for me, my sins are covered. By faith. Saved. Repentant of their sins and the sacrifice. But when their sacrifices just became a ritual and not about the reality anymore. God says, your face is hidden from me. I can't see you. You're separated by sin. Because you're living in sin unrepentant that's what the bible talks about when it says practicing sin it doesn't mean i blow it it doesn't mean i mess up it means i'm living like a pig in the mud and i like it and i don't want to get out of the mud and that's where i want to be and then i call on the name of the lord and god says i can't see you your sin separates you from me god is holy and he says to his people be ye holy as i am holy But you know, the good news is he doesn't require us then to have perfect performance. Rather, he requires us by faith to come to his son, to appropriate the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on a cross for us. And by faith believe, by the shedding of his blood, I am made clean. But I have to be repentant. And here, the nation of Israel, they weren't repentant. And they didn't understand why God wasn't answering their prayers. He says in verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue has muttered perversity. God is saying to them, Man, you guys are messed up, and you think it's okay. You know, Ezekiel the prophet tells us what the people were doing. Yeah, Ezekiel tells us, you want to turn with me, you turn right in your Bibles, and you're going to come to Ezekiel. And we're going to go to Ezekiel 23, and I'll read a section there out of Ezekiel 23 to maybe shed some light on what's going on with his people. Ezekiel 23... Let's go to about verse 37. 
23:37 For they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands They have committed adultery with their idols and even sacrificed their sons whom they bore to me passing them through the fire to devour them Moreover they have done this to me they have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my sabbath Do you understand what the people were doing they were taking their firstborn and offering him in a, valley, in a valley around Jerusalem called the Valley of Henna. Became known as Gehenna. <clears throat> Jesus described that valley as an example of what hell is like. They would go down in, into the Valley of Hinnom. And down there was the dump for the city. And they would set up the god Molech which was a little brass god, and they'd build a fire around this brass god, and they'd get that brass god burning red hot. And they'd take their firstborn and lay him on that god, and then they'd beat the drums. They'd beat the drums so they couldn't hear the child cry. And then God says, you do that, and then you come to me. You offer your child to the god Molech and then, and then your ritual is come to me and do your sacrifices and he says, you got blood on your hands. It's not that that's unforgivable, it's that they didn't care about forgiveness. It wasn't real. It was just a ritual, just a thing I do. You have blood on your hands, Ezekiel said. You're killing your children there to, to Molech. You're offering them to Molech and then you come to me and you, and you play church. You go into the world and you do all these worldly things and you think it's okay. Then you're unregenerate. And God says, I can't hear you and I won't come when you call. Call Molech. Call the God who you offered your sons to. The Bible says the firstborn belongs to who? You remember when we went through Leviticus? The firstborn belongs to the Lord. Give him to me, God said. They were giving him to Molech, offering him as a sacrifice. Their hands were covered with blood. And in verse 4, he says, No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. Man, there's a lot of guys who come to church and they say the words, they sing the songs, they do the things. But if those words aren't true, that's not come from your heart romans 10 9 and 10 tell us that if we confess with our mouth the lord jesus christ but there's another part to it. what's the other part and believe in your heart god says it can't be lip service it's got to be real it's got to be real he says man you're trusting in empty words in empty words it's got to be a real thing that occurs in your life. It's got to be something that comes from your heart. Not empty words and speaking lies. Empty words, ideas, you're unable to perform. You make your promises and your vows to God with no intention of keeping them. It's just ritual. And God's busting the chops of his people and saying, Is, you're just being ritualistic and filled with tradition and your relationship with me is not real. You think you're saved because you're circumcised. You think everything's okay because you know there's one true God. But James would say the demons know that. But they're not saved. He says, man, you've got to understand. 
It's got to be real. It's got to be real. Something within us. No one calls for justice. He goes on. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Jeremiah would say that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Do you, do you realize that there's no limit to the evil man can do? There is no limit to what they can do. I uh, heard of a woman one time who, you know, followed the dream. You guys know the story. Oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to become an actress. We've all heard the stories a hundred times. She goes to Hollywood, finds out that, that that doesn't just happen. Pretty soon she doesn't have anywhere to live. And like so many of those girls who go, she ends up prostituting herself. Well, through prostituting herself, she gets pregnant. She doesn't know what to do. She gives birth to the child. She does her best to raise the the child and and turn tricks in in the nighttime. And all of a sudden, through kind of happenstance, she discovers that the guys who are buying her will pay more for her baby. So she sells her child to the men who came for her. There's no end. There's no bottom to what man will do without God in his life. There's no end to how far we'll go without him. He is what puts a bottom in our life. He's the one that gives us that place from which we can push off to him. Climb, stretch, reach for him. He says they conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave spiders' webs. He who eats their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. He's saying, hey, listen, what starts off as bad keeps getting worse. You ever seen that? It starts bad. At some point, you would ask that that young lady. That young lady actually came to the Lord. Philip Yancey writes about her in his book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And he says about this young woman, he asked her, you know, what, why she didn't go to the church. And she was afraid, if I went to the church, if I went to the church, I'd just feel worse. I'd feel worse because people judge me or think about me based on who I am or what I've done. But then she also said, but I don't really know how I got here. In my mind, I'm still that girl that was chasing her dreams, coming to Hollywood to be an actress. And somehow all this happened. Because what's bad gets worse. You, you lay viper's eggs, and those eggs, they bring forth more vipers. What do vipers do? They bite you. They, they inject you with venom. They destroy your life. That's what those choices are like in our life. When we walk away from the Lord, they're like laying vipers' eggs. Sooner or later, they're going to hatch. Sooner or later, those snakes are coming. Rattlesnakes in the playground. And they don't just affect us, right? What had that, what had that girl's little baby ever done? And what's her life like now? And you think your choices don't affect anybody else? Life's a circle, man. Our our choices affect everybody. People all around us are affected by sin. That's what sin does. It destroys lives. But Jesus Christ, he can make them new. He can make them new. 
He goes on and says, Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. It's like the picture he's painting is, so these guys, what they're doing is they're building this web to protect themselves. How's that work out for a spider? I guess it works out good if it's a fly coming. But if it's me coming with a broom, is that web going to save him? He worked on that web and he built this crazy, just the other day. That reminds me of a story. Just the other day, I'm getting behind our big old giant TV. Uh, it's not a big TV. It's an entertainment center thing, you know. And I move it to get behind it. And I don't know what kind of spider made this web. But it was the gnarliest, thickest, biggest, beefiest web I ever saw. I was almost afraid that I might get stuck in it. But, had that been big, huh? But, really, it only took just the slightest swipe of my hand. And all that was gone. That's what it's like when people trust in their works. It's like a spider building a web and you think what you're doing, you're providing coverage. I'm reminded of my father who worked all his life at Lockheed and Lockheed clothes, and he was the kind of guy who'd do whatever he had to do to make sure he, he provided for his family. So when Lockheed closed in California, he got a job at Del Taco. And he worked at Del Taco for about four or five years, finished up his, his college education, went to work for uh, TRW, the contractor, not the credit agency, that, you know, building missiles and planes and stuff for the government. And he retired from there. All this, all his life spent in, in pursuit of when he retired, being able to live the, that good life. And he took that retirement, that nest egg, and he invested it. How'd that work out? He don't have nothing today. Nothing. All that work. There was no sense in putting your trust in that, is there? Tomorrow it could be gone. When I bought my house in California, they said, this is a great investment, Jackie. You can't ever lose money on a house. Buy this house. And I bought that house, and I thought, you know, we should do some stuff to the house, make the house worth more money. So we took out a, a we refinanced it, made the loan bigger, and we did all this cool stuff. We poured this giant driveway, and we took all the windows out and redid all the windows, and my house is worth half as much today. And I can't sell it. I might as well have a a fort in the back of some field somewhere, that house. In fact, the fort in the field is probably worth more than my house. How'd that work out? Guess I shouldn't put my trust in that, huh? Where do we put our trust? In Jesus Christ, in the Lord, in him. That's where we want to put our trust, man. That's where we want to put our hope. That's where we want to put it all. They were putting it in webs. That's the picture that, that Isaiah, oh, you think your webs are going to save you guys. You're not going to be okay. Them webs, they're not going to stay up. Verse 7, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Now, listen, Isaiah is writing this 3,000 years ago. He could be writing about today, couldn't he? Their feet are swift, a run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. But look around the world. Turn on the news when you get home. Tell me what the suicide bomber blew up who, where. 
Because they're doing it every day, ain't they? If it's not in Pakistan, it's in it's in Israel, or it's in or it's or it's the Muslims killing the Christians, or the Christians killing the Muslims, depending on where you're at in the world. Their feet, quick to violence, quick to evil, to shed blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of a, of iniquity or sin. The way of peace they have not known, and there's no justice in their ways. The way of peace they haven't known. Why? Because no God, no peace. Right? And if you know God, you'll know peace. Apart from Him, there is no peace. When is the book of Ephesians is going to tell us, when we get there, that He has become our peace. Jesus is our peace. He's our rest. He's everything we need. He says, they don't know peace. God says, they don't know me. They think they're okay because they're of Israel. There are people who come to church and think they're okay because they come to church. I go to church. I have never, I haven't missed a Sunday in 47 years. It doesn't matter if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That work is building a web and hoping it saves you. It's a relationship with him. It's got to be a relationship with him. That's what he's saying here. Listen, you guys don't have one with me. They have made themselves crooked paths. And whoever takes that way will not know peace. You know, <clears throat> bugs me to see Jimmy Carter's book. I don't know why. He's, Jimmy Carter has a book that says, by the way, he's supposed to be a Christian. Anyway, he says, it is possible to have peace in the Middle East. You're right. It is possible. When Jesus comes back, there will be peace in the Middle East. Because we don't have the ability to govern fairly. Oh, yeah, we do, Jackie. We need democracy. Really? How well are we doing? How does justice work in our land? Is it not perverted? How many times do you hear about some crazy criminal breaking into some guy's house, slip and fall in the kitchen and, and break his arm and sue and get paid? For breaking his arm, in their kitchen, his arm in their kitchen while he's robbing the house. How does that work? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. But that's how it is. They pervert justice. Democracy doesn't bring justice. Communism doesn't bring justice. Dict- dictatorships, they don't bring justice. What's going to bring justice? Jesus Christ, the one who will rule righteously. The only one. The return of the king. When he comes... Peace. Until then, there is no peace. So Jimmy Carter, he actually is the first, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody talk about a peace plan that's limited. Interesting, because the Bible says that, and I'm not saying Jimmy Carter, by the way, is the Antichrist, but the Bible says the Antichrist is going to offer up a a seven-year peace plan. And Jimmy Carter saying, oh, I, I say we should sign a 10-year peace plan. Hmm? So after 10 years, what happens? There'll just be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know, it, it only takes 10 years to make a habit, and then everything will be good. I don't know what they're thinking, but the reality is if you want to know peace, if you want to have justice, if you want to understand righteousness, only found one place. In Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. That's the only place it is. <clears throat> now, then the people begin 
to make confession. Here we see in this next section from 9 down to around uh, through verse 13, Isaiah is going to make confession for the people. Listen to what he says. Therefore, justice is far from us. You see, he's speaking uh, with the pronoun, lumping himself in together with the nation. Nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. That's quite the picture, isn't it? Folks, that's the picture of what it is to be lost. Right there. Wandering around, looking for some kind of hope, finding nothing. Because your hope is in Christ. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Isaiah gets it. He says, man, our sin is still on us. We're not set free from our sin because we've fallen into ritual. And we're just doing this thing because we always do it. And we, we've lost sight of the reality of what God wants to accomplish and what God wants to do. We don't want to lose sight of that, man. We, we want to be able to have that real relationship. In verse 14, he says, So justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth has fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Listen to this verse. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. That's a sad verse to me. It's saying that God was looking for somebody to stand for his people. Somebody in leadership to make a stand, to guide his people, you know, in the right direction. He was looking for that intercessor. You remember, like Moses, who, when given the opportunity for God to throw away all the people and start over with him, said, God, I'd rather you strike my name out of the book of life and save the people. That's an intercessor. Abraham, when God was going to go judge Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? If there's ten righteous in that city, will you destroy it? God said, no. For Jerusalem, how many was he looking for? One. If there had been one. God has that same call for you and me today. For you and I to be intercessors. For you and I to be those people who say, you know, I want to pray for my brother. I want to pray for my sister. I want to stand in the gap for those who are struggling. But listen, we get all judgmental. And I hate that stuff. 
I hate that we look at someone and we make a judgment about them by what they look like or how they talk or how they walk or what they say or what they do. Man, I, I hate that we do that. Sang a song tonight called Healer. If you have uh, the video by Hillsong's called This Is Our God, they, they show a video of it when they do that song. The guy who wrote that song, it's an amazing song. He struggled with sin. Here's how he struggled with sin. On the video, you'll see him singing a song connected to an oxygen mask. For a year, he pretended to have cancer, trying to emphasize the power of God's ability to heal, I guess, and faked it. And after about a year, he got found out. And you know, what's the Bible say? Be sure your sin will what? Find you out. And so, you know, they, Hillsong's actually pulled some of the albums that had that on it and pulled that song off of the, off of the albums. And there was all this stuff that went down. And since, you know, he's, he's repented and he's, you know, the guy's like, man, you know, I, I understand I, I blow it, but man, I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling with, with, you know, my relationship with God. And isn't that exactly what that song's about? The Bible says, Oh, foolish Galatians. God was talking to the Galatians at the time. You can put your name in there, by the way. Do you believe that you could complete in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit? If God begins a work, He'll finish it. But He doesn't need your help. Do you know that? He doesn't need your help to fake your sick. He doesn't need your help to to go and sleep with another woman so you can have a baby. That was Abraham. He doesn't need your help, if you're Jacob, to go lie to your dad and steal the birthright. God doesn't need your help. Whenever we help, it's amazing how often we get in the way. God is able. The song says it, right? The words of the song are not less true because the guy uh, faked an illness. I believe God is his healer still. And I believe God has everything that that guy needs. And I think he's going to find restoration as he seeks it. But there's a lot of people out there that won't play that song and they'll throw it away because of what this guy did. When we do that, the devil wins. Don't he? Where the Bible doesn't tell me I'm responsible to put consequences on my brother for his sin. God can do that without me, can he? What's the Bible tell me to do? If a brother is repentant, what am I to do? Restore him. Lift him up. Not step on his neck. Lift him up. Lift him up in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, considering myself, lest I also be tempted. Is there one of us who hasn't lied? Or exaggerated or done something to try to make God look better than he really did. And, and the reason why we get so angry or frustrated or judgmental toward this brother is. Because our sin always looks worse on somebody else. It always does. Hey, we want to have an attitude not like that. We want to have an attitude that says, I'm going to pray for him. I want to pray for that brother. Because that song's amazing. 
I want to pray for him that that he kind of gets squared away and then he and then he comes out of that because God says I'm looking for someone who will stand for him. I got a lot of people who will judge him. I'm looking for somebody who will stand. I look around the church, guys. Even tonight, there's hurting people here. Are we those who will stand in the gap with them? Well, they got problems. Yeah. So do you. I've actually talked to some of you. I know you got problems. (laughs) But listen. We want to stand. He says, listen, there was nobody to stand. And look at God says, I wondered. He says, I wonder. There's no intercessor. Why isn't anybody praying? Well, remember I told you Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they run about that same time. So let's flip over. We were just in Ezekiel 23. Let's look at Ezekiel 22. Just real quick. We'll take a look at Ezekiel 22. I'm almost done. I promise. Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, there it is. I have this verse highlighted, circled, underlined, stars all around it. Here's what God says. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Jeremiah, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. How many was he looking for in Ezekiel? One man. How many was he looking for in Isaiah? One man. We look around sometimes and we think, oh, we're too small to make a dent in this. All God needs is one person. We, we sometimes, in the Marine Corps, we had this saying. We, we would walk around and say derogatorily, oh, figure the odds, every time something was difficult. You think that, the, that we'll get a, a, you know, 96 this weekend? Figure the odds. That meant no. Have you ever figured the odds for God? Because when you look at God, he seems to like something in the neighborhood of 400 to 1. You look at the the 300 that he sent, the 318 trained men that he sent from Abraham. See how many guys they fought. I bet it was 401. Look at Gideon and see the the battle of Gideon. I bet it was 401. Figure the odds. God likes those kind of odds. He does. He just wants one person who will be faithful. Listen, he wants one person to be faithful at your workplace who will be the kind of worker he needs to be as a believer and will pray for that place. Instead of complaining that the, the, the jobs are shutting down, pray that they stay open. He just wants one person who will pray for revival within a church and revival can come. He just needs one person to stand in the gap. And there's more than one here. You look out on that Warriors on a Wall list. That's a sign where people have, have signed in and said, I pledge to stand in the gap to be an intercessor for this body. You look how many names are on there. We still got more, 168 hours in a week. There's still holes. Maybe God would have you fill one, but there's one. God wants us to be that one. 
He wants us to be willing to stand in the gap. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. In his own righteousness, it sustained him. Who's he talking about? Listen, God said he looked for a man and there was none. So his own arm brought salvation. Jesus. His own righteousness sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. May you struggle with with fear, you struggle with with anything any darkness in your life listen to what that just said it says when the evil comes against you the spirit of the lord himself will lift up a standard against him isn't that reason enough to trust the lord god is your protection verse 20 the redeemer will come to zion by the way that word is goel goel means the kinsman redeemer Kinsman redeemer means the one who can put his hand in man and the hand in God. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Fully God. Fully man. Hand in man. Hand in God. Bridge the gap. The distance between us and God. He covers that. And in him we find salvation. The redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. I love it when God calls Israel Jacob. Do you know why? Because Jacob, whenever he calls Israel Jacob, he's calling him a liar. And whenever he calls Israel Israel, he's calling him governed by God. Because we all know that we have two natures, don't we? The flesh and the spirit. And sometimes the spirit rules and reigns in our life. And we are, like Israel, governed by God. And other times we're like Jacob. We're just that dirty liar we used to be. But what did God say? He calls him Jacob. He's not afraid to be called by Jacob's name. To those who turn from transgression in Jacob. It's not about performance. It's about a heart that says, I don't like this. I want to repent. I want to be better. I want to be different. I want my life to change. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. What is God's covenant? An abiding spirit and the everlasting word. Jesus said it like this. I will never leave you or forsake you. John 1, 1, what's it say? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. God the Word is Jesus Christ. Everlasting Word. When He returns, Revelation chapter 19 says He'll have a name on Him. He will be called the Word of God. God's complete expression is in Jesus Christ. The Word. The Word. The everlasting Spirit. Spirit abiding. The Word everlasting. He says, I'm going to give that to you. 
That's what he did when, he, when his son came. As we get to chapters 60 and 61, 62 and on, the, the picture of, of the prophecy is now going to turn to the return of Jesus Christ and what he's going to do. And this is what he's bringing, the new covenant. A new covenant. His spirit and his word. Everlasting. Tonight we got an opportunity. As we study God's word, as we spend some time in it, we have some, some time still remaining for us tonight. Remember I told you there's more than one of us here, right? We got an opportunity tonight. Every Sunday night we close out with just a time of prayer. Just open. Just open. It, you don't got to feel like, oh, they're going to call on me. Nobody's calling on you. You want to pray, pray. You want to pray in your seat, pray in your seat. You don't got to... You don't got to pray out loud where folks can hear you. You can just pray quietly to yourself. But we're going to close with a time of prayer. Open prayer. We want to invite you. If you want to pray, pray. You got a word to share from the scripture? Share the word. All we ask is that you be, uh, um, that you care about the other brothers and sisters that are here that would also like to pray. And don't try to talk as long as I have. And, you know, just seek the Lord. In this time, as we close out, we want God to honor this time. So, so we're just going to chill out and pray. There's not going to be song at the end. This is it. We're done. We're going to pray. If the, if the Lord lays on your heart that you're done and you've got to bail, God bless you. We'll see you next time we see you. If the Lord lays on your heart, I need to stay and pray. Stay and pray with us. And, uh, and we'll just look for his face in this place. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you right now. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. For God, what you bring to us from Isaiah. Lord, we ask God, even as we set this side of time, to come before you. Father, that, that our hearts would be pricked to say, God, I don't want to get into another tradition or ritual where I, where I you know, try to lay this thing on me where I pray. I want to be honest and open and I want to stand in the gap. I want to intercede for my brother, for those who are hurting, for those who are struggling. I want to stand for them in prayer. For my brother who's fallen or for my brother who has victory, I want to stand with them. I want to be like you, Jesus, and everywhere I read in the Gospels, it says you would go to a quiet place and pray. So, Lord, we just lay this time before you. May your spirit move among us, in us, through us. As we just lift up our needs, our desires. As we just lift up our prayers to you, Lord God. Meet us in this place. Father, may you, as you look upon us, not say, I was looking for one man. May you find us with hearts open and willing to be who you're calling us to be.